Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain. Each episode, we bring together leaders across the supply chain space to discuss the role of technology and business model innovation on the future of supply chain. The Future of Supply Chain podcast is presented by Dynamo. Dynamo is a pre-seed and seed stage supply chain investor. To learn more about Dynamo and this show, head over to www.dynamo.vc slash podcasts or subscribe on the platform of your choice. Now let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey folks, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar. Joining me today from sunny Florida is Dennis Menefee, CEO of Partstat. Welcome, Dennis. Hey, thanks, Santosh. Great to be here. It's great to have you on. And you know, before we jump in here, I'd love for you to just give our audience here the quick 90 seconds on Partstat and what you and the team are building down in Florida. Yeah, great. I'd be happy to. So, you know, Santosh, we're we're in the semiconductor supply chain, or, or even a, get a little bit outside of that. You know, we're finding that our customers, once we have supply agreements in place with our customers, they kind of pull us into some other areas. But Hartstad is a big data company. We were we were born in 1991. We've been around for a long time. Predominantly, what we've done for customers is most for most of our lives is companies that owned inventory. They already had inventory, these semiconductors and electronic components on their balance sheet. And we provided a secure storage environment for those companies to store that type of material. It's got to be an air conditioned, humidity controlled environment. You got to have people that know how to handle that type of product. And so we have all that infrastructure in place. And for years, what we did for customers is store that type of critical inventory offer them some, some improvement in business continuity. And then we fulfilled that inventory over time to either the, one of their locations or one of their EMS partners around the world. And then 2012, we, we came up with our own, basically a database and we created this massive database of real-time data from all of the component manufacturers and global authorized distributor partners that they have around the world. In fact, today we have, we're tracking over 21 million electronic components and semiconductors on a real-time basis. We have component manufacturers and authorized distributors from around, from over 59 countries actually, that provide daily feeds of their inventory positions and other data to our platforms. And then, so we, we use this data to help our customers stay more informed about their bill of materials as it pertains to supply chain. And then we also, we just, our old hat is we happen to have this infrastructure in place of storing the inventory and fulfill it, fulfilling that inventory for them over a period of time. So what we've done now with parts data, we put these things, put all these things together. And so we help customers with our big data to help them make their supply chains more resilient by keeping them more informed with real-time data on semiconductors with bill of material resiliency. And then we're the only company on the planet that will purchase up to 10 plus years of inventory on our customer's behalf using our own working capital and then allow those customers to take delivery and pay for that inventory on demand over a 10 term, a 10 year term. So that's, that's what we've been doing over the last six years is we've been buying inventory on behalf of customers, allows them to preserve their working capital. We're ensuring that we're improving their business continuity, and then we're delivering that inventory as they need over the term. So 
Now we purchase inventory on behalf of our customers, store it, and then fulfill it as they need it, whether it's to them or their EMS partners over a 10-year term. And, you know, kind of taking a step back, what's the dentist story? How did you get involved in this wild, wonderful world of inventory management, (laughs) supply management? Yeah, great, great question. So, you know, I, I, I got into this industry back in like the, the mid eighties and I worked for a distributor and, you know, it just, it just clicked with me. I fell in love with the industry, the technology, the types of customers. And then I, I, I love solving problems. I've always been, had that, uh, that kind of instinct in me that I seek out the problems and I want to try to find a solution to those problems. After I was with the company I was with for about five years, I had a great knowledge base of, you know, who the players were in the market in terms of supply chain and uh, suppliers and in terms of the types of customers. And then I started the, started the company back in 1991. And uh, ever since then, I've just, you know, just a lot of experience with working with large companies, helping them to making their supply chains more resilient and just understanding the industry as a whole and keeping, keeping it in tune with, you know, it's, 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 we've been in business since 1991. So we're constantly having to pivot and maybe tweak our model a bit. You know, as I stated before, we first started out as just storing and fulfilling for customers. Then we became a big data company as we saw that need. And then we became an inventory ownership company as we saw that companies were just spending an enormous amount of their working capital each year securing this inventory. So it's, it's been an evolution, I, both in my personal experience as to where we are today and in the company's experience. It's been an evolution of keeping tabs and listening to customers as to what they may need out there. So I, I got into this a long time ago. I just fell in love with the industry and it's been a learning process all throughout the, all, all throughout the term. So you, you touched on some of this a few minutes ago, but you know, when, when I come to your website in large words, it says we buy inventory so you don't have to. And you describe the business in, in an interesting way. And you actually discuss the, the old hat he says this, you know, inventory purchasing, working capital management, materials, warehousing capability, but kind of how is the introduction and the development of your data and your insights allowed you to do this working capital inventory pre-purchasing bit more intelligently for your customers? Because there, there's definitely a kind of symbiotic relationship there. Yeah, great question. So, you know, we're, as I mentioned, you know, we're tracking about 21 million electronic components and semiconductors on a daily basis. We can tell you about six different data points on each one of those parts. Many of these parts our customers use in all of their designs, whether they're in the aerospace industry, in the medical industry, the industrial or energy industry, communications industry, a lot of common products there. So we, we use this data, we share this data with our customers on a bill material level. So customer could 
provide a bill, their bill of material to us is basically all the components that go on all the circuit boards that they, that they manufacture. We monitor those, those parts in terms of BOM resiliency. So let's say, you know, and, and this has really changed over time, Santosh, I mean, you know, before I think everybody's inventory model was a just-in-time inventory model. Now companies are moving to more of a just-in-case inventory model. And our data has allowed companies to make more intelligent decisions because, you know, factory lead times on some of these semiconductors today is, you know, 52 weeks out. Maybe we can tell you on any component, maybe the lead time on that part was 12 weeks, 12 months ago. So we provide this trending data to customers on their bill of material level where they can stay ahead of these types of supply chain risk. And so, you know, if they have, if they need a hundred thousand chips for their design and there's only 50,000 in the marketplace, but we see trending information on, on factory lead times that they're stretching out actually before the pandemic hit, uh, just before the pandemic hit, we had some customers coming to us and they saw the trending information from our data and they saw that these factory lead times were stretching out. We actually push an automated alert to them based on four week deviation. So when we see parts that are on their bills of materials that let's say have a 12 week lead time and all of a sudden it moves to 16 weeks, they get an alert that, that the trend of, of that trend, that the lead time is stretching out. And then maybe they get another alert when that part gets set 20 weeks out. So we had companies coming to us and, and, and in the beginning, in the front end of our relationship, we set up a supply agreement with them that allows us to purchase inventory on their behalf. So when they see this type of trending information from our big data, it allows them to utilize our inventory ownership solution to secure that inventory Basically, what we're doing, Santosh, is we're hedging some of the risk that could be coming down the pipe that's maybe not real, realized at this point, but we see the trend. You know, sometimes you can look back at history to help predict the future. And so we, uh, we, we share that information on a, on a bill of material uh, front with them. As they see those trends from our big data, it allows them to engage with us. They look at their forecast and determine how much of the inventory that they need that's going to support the production and service cycle of their business. And then they can utilize our solution where we actually purchase the inventory that they need on their behalf and then store it and then and, and fulfill it to them over whatever term they need. If that's two years, five years to get them through a redesign phase or some of our customers are considered high mix, low volume customers. So they get parts obsoleted on them a lot. And really our inventory ownership solution was born out of semiconductor manufacturers obsoleting parts and our OEM customers, you know, the life cycle of a semiconductor is much shorter than the life cycle of our, of our customers' products. And so our inventory ownership solution came about because Companies were spending tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars in some cases of their working capital securing parts before they were end of life with the semiconductor manufacturer. Mm. And so we introduced the solution where we buy the inventory before it goes to end of life. But now with, once, with the current times, we're buying to hedge against fact, long factory lead times, to hedge against price inflation, to, to secure inventory as, they, as parts go end of life. 
but we use our data to help give our customers that trending information so that they can engage with us on the ownership front so that we can purchase the inventory to help them hedge into all those supply chain risks. And, you know, for some of our listeners who might be thinking, so how do I kind of pay for this type of intelligence and resiliency? What is the model here? Like how does, I guess, in in other words, uh, parts that make money here in broad strokes? Yeah. So we do charge, a, it's a, the, the bill of material resiliency monitoring is a subscription fee based, you know, we can monitor as many bills of materials and as many parts as a customer may want. We charge, I think it's like 10 cents a part to, to on a monthly subscription to monitor their, their bills of materials for resiliency. And then a lot of times we're, we're, since we're looking at the data on their behalf, we're we have a handshake on our side. So we have a, our, our, our relationship managers who are in contact with our customers to make sure, Hey, did you see this alert that just came out? You know, what do you want to do? Do you want to, do, do we need to secure inventory? And then if, so on a, on the bill material resiliency side, sharing the data, actually, you could actually go to Partstat today. Any of your listeners could go to Partstat today. And I, I definitely implore them to do so. They could register on the, on, the, on the platform for free. They could actually click on partner inventory and they could search semiconductor and electronic components for free. All of the major authorized suppliers in the world participate on the Parsat platform. So companies like Arrow, Abnet, Future, DigiKey, Mauser, TTI, Electronic EBV. So not only Arrow and Abnet North America, but Arrow and Abnet Europe all of the major authorized suppliers and a growing list of component manufacturers are now starting to participate and provide daily feeds to the, of their inventory positions to the Partstat platform. Users can go on for free and they can register on the Partstat platform and they can search these distributors' inventories for free. Now, if they want us to monitor their bills of materials for resiliency, that's a subscription fee-based type of model. And then when we purchase inventory on our customer's behalf, whether that's $500,000 worth of parts or if it's $25 million worth of inventory, we charge our customers a quarterly fee based on the average inventory value of inventory they were holding on their behalf. Mm. This allows them to the flexibility to take inventory, take delivery and pay for the inventory whenever they want. And as they take delivery and pay for the inventory, as the value drops, so does our fee. And, and, and I might add, our, our fee is just incredible. We did a study a while back where we asked, well, most of our com- com- customers are multinational publicly traded companies. And we did a survey trying to find out, we wanted to find out what's the annual inventory carrying cost to carry inventory on their balance sheet? Because carrying inventory, the cost to carry inventory is not just the cost of capital. There's warehouse, storage, fulfillment, loss, damage, risk, insurance, all these different types of costs, like auditing, that go into annual carrying costs. We noticed that on average, that's around 14 to 15% is what it costs a company to carry inventory in their balance sheet. So we can purchase inventory on behalf of our customers, and we're less than that. So not only do companies preserve their working capital, we reduce their annual inventory carrying costs. And most importantly, the day that we buy the inventory on behalf of the customer, all component costs are locked in 
throughout the entire term. Doesn't matter what happens to inflation. Doesn't matter what happens to component pricing. So if we're, if we buy a part today for a customer and we're shipping that part to him for $10 per unit, when we ship that part to him seven years from now, it's still $10 a part. So the day that we buy the inventory, all costs are locked in throughout the entire term. So as companies have been maneuvering this minefield of the current supply chain and semiconductor industry, it's been a lot of the news lately with the automotive manufacturers yep. not being able to meet production schedules because they can't get parts. Well, you know what? We talk to all types of customers and it's not just the automotive customers. You know, all companies are having this issue right now. And so we use our data to help customers stay out in front of that stuff. But we have a, a subscription model in the front end for bill material resiliency monitoring. We have, and basically we charge a, a carrying fee, if you will, a quarterly carrying fee, if you will, based on the value of inventory that we're carrying for our customer throughout the term. And, you know, is there a specific case study perhaps that also highlights, you know, the the, the, the issues or, or challenges that your customers are, are facing in, in present date that you could share with us here briefly? Yeah. So there's a couple. And, and by the way, on our, on the, on the W, you can go to www.partsdad.coms, tons of great content, videos, and case studies on the site. But, you know, we've, we've, I can share a couple of case studies with you. We recently had a customer who, is concerned about getting the inventory that they need. So I won't mention the customer's name, but I'll mention the, the supplier in this case was Intel. And Intel, they wanted to make sure that they had the, the Intel product when they needed it. So they came to Partstat and we purchased 96 different Intel parts on their behalf, just a little under $30 million of Intel chips in a buffer stock situation. And this is a real hot button these days. Customers are coming to us to secure buffer stock. As I mentioned before, Santosh, companies are moving their inventory models from just in time to just in case. They want to be more yeah. control of inventory. They want to know that they've got authentic inventory when they need it. And so we, we purchased about you know $30 million of the Intel chips directly from Intel on their behalf. We, we placed the order, we, per, we paid, paid the supplier immediately for all the inventory. All of that inventory has come in, it's still coming in. And then we're fulfilling that inventory to their EMS partners. And they have like three or four different EMS partners that they use. We're going to be fulfilling that inventory over the next two and a half years as they need that inventory. We have another customer who just also engaged with us on a buffer stock program where we're purchasing over 2,000 different parts on their behalf, and we're storing that inventory here. It's buffer inventory. As we fulfill the inventory, we replenish the inventory on the, on the other side of it. So we're keeping the inventory levels at a certain range, in a certain range so that they always have the inventory when they need it. You know, these companies, when they have shortages and they can't get the inventory that they need, it causes a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. So. Creating these buffer stock programs has really helped customers get in the driver's seat and they're more in control of the inventory more so than ever before. So those are just a couple of case studies on top of the, my head where 
we secured the buffer stock situations for them. And then something we introduced in June in a way that we're using our big data to help customers. If I ask 10 companies right now, if I ask them, hey, what's the biggest challenge you have? And I always ask that question. They're all all pretty much going to tell me the same thing right now. We're just trying to get parts. We can't get the inventory we need. And so what what we introduced in June, just June, we introduced this and it's taking off. We introduced a new solution called the purchasing aggregation solution. And what we can do for customer Santosh is that if companies have gaps in their supply chain where they basically have shortages of parts that they can't get, they can provide us a list of those components. It could be hundred parts. It could be a thousand parts. We have some customers to have, I think we have one customer right now who's got 1700 different chips that he can't get, that they can't get that we're helping them with. And we can do, we can do something using our big data here. So since we have relationships and partnerships with all of these global authorized suppliers from over 59 countries that provide daily feeds of their inventory positions to Partstat, we can take a shortage list, essentially, from our customer. We can run that shortage list through our big data warehouse, and it, and it generates something that we call a component trending report. That component trending report, it will expose if there is any authorized supplier in the world that participates in our platform that has current stock on a part that customer has a shortage on, then the customer could place one order with Partstat and there may be six different authorized suppliers that have that part. And with full transparency, Partstat will then go out and we will procure that inventory on behalf of that customer. We will buy from the six different suppliers we will bring that inventory in and deliver it to the customer with full transparency. So the customer will always know the authentic supplier that's selling the parts to parts that on their behalf. They will always know the cost that we are paying for that inventory. Mm. So this is another way that we're using our big data to help companies in today's current environment with all of the supply chain problems that are happening out there. How does this kind of evolve or, or change as, you know, we're seeing kind of discussions around nearshoring or, or complementing some of the, the global supply chains with those that are a bit shorter, so to speak, closer to home, maybe in, in friendlier countries or, or governing environments. Does, does this kind of concept of, you know, resiliency working capital optimization, evolve, change, grow? How are you and, and your team kind of thinking about this as it's developing? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we had a lot of companies, you know, during the pandemic, Sintosh, you know, people weren't working. So that means everybody, not only shipping ports, but semiconductor manufacturer employees, they weren't working. So you know, it created a lot of, a lot of issues for a lot of different companies. And we were listed as, a, as an essential supplier because we have many medical manufacturing customers. So during the pandemic, we were so open and we were still shipping and, and supporting our customers during that time. But you know what? Customers are concerned about the geopolitical environment. You know, you got, there's this threat with China and Taiwan, TSMC, who makes maybe 90% of the world's chips, you know, that's, that's a big issue today. A lot of companies are coming to us because 
they want to, they want to, you know, on one side, they've got this internal struggle. They've got on the supply chain side, the folks in the supply chain understand, hey, look, we need to move to a, a, a just in case inventory model. We want to buy all these chips so we have them. But in the, so on the finance side of those, those companies, the finance folks are saying, wait a minute, spending our working capital and inventory is not the most efficient use of working capital. We don't really want to do that. And that's where parts that can come in and bridge that gap. So we've been able to help companies in this geopolitical environment because that's what we do. Our motto says that on our website, we buy inventory so you don't have to. So what we've been able to do for companies, you know, TSMC came out in, in, in I think it was January this year, and they raised ship prices 20% across the board. Well, in the last quarter of last year, we had many of our customers using our supply agreement and our inventory ownership solution to purchase two or three years of inventory back then in order to avoid the component price inflation was coming out. But an, another way that we're helping companies with this is because of the geopolitical environment, there's tariffs, there's a 25% tariff on chips that are, made, mm-hmm. that are, that are made in China. So companies want to, you know, our customers want to hedge against that. They don't want to pay those tariffs. There could also be VAT situations, right? The value added tax. And so what we can do for companies is that we could purchase the inventory on their behalf. We could have title to it. We could pay for the inventory, but we could actually consign the inventory to either our customer or one of their EMS partners anywhere else in the world. This allows us to nearshore inventory and still provide the benefits of our inventory ownership solution where we're buying it with our capital, our customers preserving their working capital. They're reducing your inventory carrying costs. They're locking in those component costs for a long period of time. And that inventory could reside at one of their EMS partners somewhere in the world who's actually building the sub-assemblies for them. So we're able to nearshore that inventory for them so we avoid any of the geopolitical issues that may plague some of the other suppliers out there right now. And we're, we're able to do that. And we're doing that to scale right now. A lot of companies whether it's a tariff issue or a geopolitical environment, they want to have that inventory nearshored where they're doing the manufacturing. So just think, because when the pandemic, if, if, you know, you, even if you could ship, shipping containers were in one port mm-hmm. and they needed another port <laughs> and they didn't, even if you had the product, you couldn't ship it because you didn't have the containers to ship them. So it created a lot of issues and it made a lot of companies war game their supply chains to, to figure out how do we not get in this situation going forward? And one of the ways that they can do that is to partner with a company like Partstat who addresses all of these supply chain issues and keeps their supply chain resilient and does it in a way that really brings value so that they can have their working capital to invest in winning projects that have a positive economic term for their business rather than investing in an inventory that has a co- annual cost associated with it and all the other benefits that go along with it in terms of saving on annual inventory carrying costs, locking in the cost so you know it, you have, so you've locked in that cost and always making sure that you have the authentic inventory when you need it. And so kind of shifting gears a, a little bit, you know, is there a, a problem or opportunity in the broader supply chain that you'd be interested in solving that currently parts that is not focused on, or maybe it's not within scope. And I'm asking for a lot of the 
kind of entrepreneurs, you know, just listening in, being curious, kind of sussing out where there might be things that are broken that could have very elegant solutions, similar to what you have built at Partsat. Yeah, I think one area is more customized storage facilities that are for the semiconductor industry. Hmm. You know, if, if we're dealing, if we're consigning to an EMS partner, no problem. I mean, they've got the facilities and they know how to handle semiconductors and, and chips and things like that, but it's not a 3PL type of company that, that provides this storage solution. So you're, you're, whether it's Kuhn and Nagel or, or, or uh, UPS or FedEx or DHL, they're great at storing inner box, outer box type of material and shipping on that level. But with chips, it's much different. They have to be in an air conditioned, humidity controlled environment. And then we, you may have a brick of 600 Intel chips and maybe there's a hundred per tray in that brick. And a customer may need 120, may, may need 200 shipped out of that 600 piece brick. So you have to have the type of infrastructure and, and knowledge base in-house in, in, in to know how to open up that packaging according to the manufacturer specifications, take out 200 of those chips, package those chips up according in, the, in compliance with the manufacturer specifications, ship them to the, the company that needs them, and then reconstitute the balance of that inventory for future shipment and put it back in your on your shelf for future delivery. The, the industry is lacking that type of warehousing capability for the semiconductor industry. And I know, you know, they, pack, they passed the, the, the CHIP Act just recently, and that's to expand the, manu, the chip manufacturing here in the States, which is a long haul really, and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a tough, tough one to go because, you know, it takes $20 billion in five years to build one of those fab facilities. We're way behind the ball on that. 200 million, 200 billion gets us a little bit there, but we've got a long way to go. But the industry as a whole, whether it's North America, Europe, or the APAC region, is really not a warehouse type partner that's focused on providing this type of storage and, and fulfillment to this granular of a level for the semiconductor and electronic manufacturing industry. Well, you heard it here first, folks. If you know you're you're interested in solving these types of difficult problems, this might be one certainly worth considering. Seeing to to Dennis's point earlier, you know, this is in cars, appliances, you know, just beyond the, the the electronics. Chips are such an important part of our our day to day lives. But with that, Dennis, to to kind of wrap up on a lighter note. What is the most interesting thing you've read in the last week and why? <laughs> yeah, good question. I, I do try to stay up on the news. I think uh, an article that I read just recently, uh, and I do, I do a lot of reading. You know, I, 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 still, I tell people I spend a lot of time reading companies' 10Ks. I have a boring life. <laughs> but You learn a lot that way, though. Yeah, you do. You do. Um, one thing is, is that I read recently was more, more so about the, you know, the, the geopolitical environment that we're in. And, and I was talking about TSMC 
and how, you know, we're trying everything we can do to try to hedge against any issues. And I can tell you, talking firsthand with OEM companies, everybody's a little concerned about this geopolitical environment we're in right now. And, and if China were to take, take, take over Taiwan, that, that, that could cause some, uh, some real issues. I read an article, and I forget where the article was, Santosh, but it was really talking about how a, a lot of OEM companies still just aren't buying in to the issues that are plaguing the marketplace right now. And they're still holding on to the old hat and the old ways of doing business and how, how companies need to, need to re-embrace, to embrace a new way and new thinking around supply chain and, and how the, they make their business, the continuity plan and how do they make their business, you know, more resilient so that they don't have a lot of these supply chain risks. And there's still, this article was written, and again, I forget who wrote the article, but it was written really that, you know what, people are talking about this and it's like we haven't learned our lesson. People, a lot of these companies are still holding on to old values and old ways of doing business. And I, and I, I really think today you've got to embrace a new way and you got to ask your, you got to ask questions of your own organization. Or what are we doing to make our supply chain more resilient? What are we doing to hedge against all of the supply chain risks that are out there? What would happen to our brand and our revenue stream if we're not able to get the chips that we need to support the production and service cycle of our business? There are still a lot of companies out there that are holding on to the old way of doing business. And I'm really concerned that these companies are, are going to be in the crosshairs and they're, you know, this could really affect them who've been, and these companies are great brands and they have great products, but boy, it's going to really cause an issue for them if they don't really take a step back and start asking questions of their organization and how they can improve and war game their systems so that they have better solutions in place to hedge against all of these supply chain risks that happen today, because it seems like every week there's a new supply chain risk if it, it might be something getting stuck in the in the canal right so <laughs> we've seen those types of things too so that's that's an article i read recently and again i can't remember where i read the article i read a lot of these things but it was more it was just along those lines that companies still haven't adopted a new way of thinking about their supply chain awesome well with that dennis i think this is a one-of-a-kind interview given your expertise and, and focus. And I think there's a, a lot to learn from this. So appreciate you spending the time sharing the knowledge and we look forward to the future success of Bartset. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.